0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am here. This is Peter Englert. I'm going to start calling Dave Bodie our virtual producer. He likes to bring in our virtual friends. Today, we have a pastor, but also a, po- a fellow podcaster by the name of Aaron Magnuson that is with us. He leads the Social Media Church podcast. Um, And he's also a pastor just like me, and we're going to hear more about his role and where he serves, but he's from the Oregon area and now lives in the Los Angeles area. And so today we're going to continue our series about grief, and the question he's going to respond to is, why did I have to give up on my dream? So, Aaron, before I ask the question that I've asked uh, all of our guests about grief, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do to keep busy in uh I always I always mess up San Diego and Los Angeles, but it's Cuchamongo or Yeah, did yeah, I get that?
1: Rancho, Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is an outskirts uh it's east of LA. It's an outskirts of LA, uh, which is about, you know, I think we I still have not made it. I've lived here for two years and I haven't made it down to San Diego yet. Uh, but I need to, and it's, I I think we're about an hour and a half, two hours away from San Diego. So North of that, um, yeah, California geography, uh, for me growing up in Oregon was also like, I thought the Bay area and LA were really close, uh, in Northern California, people it's so far away that people fly. If you live in Southern California, you don't drive to Northern California, you fly to Northern California. So, uh, yeah, I am learning lots about California geography as well, Peter. So don't feel bad about that, but I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, Yeah, everybody. My name is Aaron um, and I am the online pastor at a church down here in California called One and All and been doing that for a little over two years. And it's been great uh, meeting people, people like Peter also having an opportunity to just kind of bless the greater church by working on cool things like the Social Media Church podcast, which is a podcast for church leaders all around the world uh, who are trying to amplify their ministry online. Uh, And so that's how Peter and I got connected. And I have an interesting enough life, I guess, where uh, Peter wanted to interview me. And we're talking about grief today, which I don't have a ton of experience with, Uh, but it's a really important topic. So I was intrigued to add to this conversation.
0: Well, and one of the reasons we asked you is, I think sometimes when we talk about grief, we don't include super positive people. And as you can tell, uh, Aaron's as energetic, maybe even more energetic than me. So (laughs) let's, uh, and I think the other cool thing about Aaron is we all deal with grief differently and we all have different levels of grief, but it's there. So Aaron, let's get started with this question What's your basic understanding and definition of grief?
1: Yeah, so I have a little bit of an advantage uh, to this. I don't have the perfect definition of it, but I studied human development and family sciences in school. I minored in sociology, uh, took a lot of classes in psychology. I have a fascination and a love for humans. Uh, And so part of the courses did focus on processing grief and how we deal with it. And there is a healthy way to deal with it. And at some point, you have to deal with it. So whether you've chosen to deal with your grief, whether you recognize you have it or not, it is something that needs to be dealt with. And so I'm really glad that you're having a whole series talking about grief. Uh, Because frankly, I also think that it's something that the church doesn't necessarily talk about very well. Um, And I think we're getting better at it as we recognize the importance of mental health um, and just our health in general. And there's things that go on underneath the surface that the answer isn't just pray more, uh, Jesus will heal you. Uh, everything happens for a reason. So don't be sad. Uh, and so I really appreciate you talking about this, but my understanding of grief and maybe how I would talk about it would be, uh, it involves the loss of something, Uh, whether that's life, whether that's, uh, like what we're going to talk about today, maybe your dreams it's, it's, and, and for a lot of us actually have a really unique understanding of grief, um, in this quarantine season, it's, it's even the loss of a normal rhythm, a normal life for a lot of high school students. It was the loss of their senior year, uh, college students, I guess, as well, the loss of something, uh, that you have to walk down a process of, uh, to come out on the other side, uh basically having dealt with all of the emotions that come along with that loss and to me that whole entire process and that journey is grief
0: mm. So I mean our question today is why did my uh, why did I have to give up on my dream? So yeah. what was your dream and what happened?
1: Yeah. So my dream uh, since I was very, very little football, uh, American football, not to be confused with uh, football, uh, if we have any global any global listeners. But uh, American football was my dream. I loved watching it. I loved playing with it. Uh, I grew up in a family, uh, with one brother, uh, and our dad was very into football, never played, but was really into football. And so we would just always be in the backyard playing. So it was just a huge part of my life. And ultimately what I started, um, pursuing when I recognized that I had a place to go with football. And so, um, Probably starting. I mean, I I started playing flag football in fifth grade, uh, actually fourth grade. Um, We couldn't have pads until we got into sixth grade middle school, uh, which was a really exciting time. And then probably about my junior year of high school. So played all of those years in between junior year of high school is when I really started getting serious about the pursuit of a scholarship at a division one school. I guess I didn't necessarily have Division One in my head, but getting a scholarship to play football in college uh, and seeing where that would go. And so uh, I really pursued that heavily, uh, so much so where that was probably my God. I grew up in a Christian household, and so I've known Jesus all of my life, but I never really owned Jesus as mine. It was my family's uh, savior, what we did on the weekends. I was fine with all of that, but he was always on the sideline while my pursuit of football was uh, right in in focus. And so, uh, didn't end up getting a scholarship, but I did get the opportunity to go to college at Oregon state university and play uh, division one college football, um, was a preferred walk on for those of you that, uh, know what that means is really a glorified way of saying I didn't have to try out to be on the team, but nobody was paying me to be on the team. Uh, so I was enrolled at Oregon state. I was essentially paying to be there, to be able to get it, Education as well as play uh, football. And I ended up uh, doing that for two years. Um, I redshirted my first year. So I would have, I was on a path uh, for like a five year career because I probably would not have been good enough to leave early, go to the NFL. I probably would have stayed at college, but I never uh, stuck with it long enough to find out what the result would have been because during my second year or after my second year, between my second year and my third year during spring practice, Uh, I really felt like God was calling me to leave, get a job so I could get money to marry, who's now my wife uh, and played volleyball at Oregon State. Um, But I felt God was calling me uh, to leave. Uh, So I quit the first thing I've ever quit in my life. uh, And I never thought that that would be the sport of football. Um, but I, I stopped, I walked into the coach's office and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop playing. I feel like uh, I need to be going in this direction. And so that was, that was the end of that. So there was this whole years of my life, uh, that had been dedicated really my whole life, uh, in some way, shape or form dedicated to this idea of playing football, uh, that ended in a very non celebratory way. It's simply me walking into a, uh, into an office Letting my coaches know, uh, taking stuff out of my locker room, and that was it. Uh, and just like that, years of my life that I had spent um, were gone.
0: You know, so it's funny. I just saw something on Jerome Bettis, like because he's mm. so he's a running back. He used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had like the dream of like winning the Super Bowl, and then retired. And so I guess what I'm curious with you is, you know, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, probably grew up in a sports culture you know, you weren't like a quarterback. You were an offensive lineman, which is like super specific. Like I look at that as being a catcher. And so I guess my question to you was, did you feel released? Like, oh, this is a burden that I'm done with. Or did you feel when you left football, like, man, I invested so much to quit after two like, or did you feel a little bit of both? Like walk us through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the quitting process is really interesting and I don't have very many vivid emotions about it, but Peter, as you and I were having a previous conversation, there was kind of a recognition that I'd never thought about it in a way before where I was going through a grieving process. And for some of our listeners here, you might, uh, be grieving something and you don't even know you're grieving it. And so I think there's value for anybody listening to this conversation to really reflect on, uh, maybe certain areas that aren't traditionally viewed as, Um, I was grieving that, or I am grieving that, but I realized with talking with Peter, I was like, yeah, there, there is a process that happened years down the road, uh, where I actually recognized how big of a loss that was and ways that I was still processing it even now today where I'm almost a decade removed, uh, Yeah, just actually this year will probably it'll be a decade removed from playing the sport of football. But um, actually, in the moment, it was a very easy decision for me. And I think having uh, a girlfriend, uh, soon to be fiance, then to be wife that you were very much uh, in pursuit of it, it kind of quickly replaced the loss and it backfilled it, uh, I think in a really healthy way. And at that point I, I had really started owning Jesus for myself. I actually got baptized during that time. Uh, I'd never been baptized in my life before. Um, and so there were some things that I think God graciously backfilled it with, which is why I probably took a while to identify it as grief, but there, there was about a hundred guys in that locker room that I just, I was doing life with daily. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, everything doing life with that all of a sudden we're just completely gone. Um, and so I I don't think I really paid as much, uh, attention to that as I, as I could have or should have, but I do remember Peter in the moment, it was a lot tougher of a decision for the people who were around me. I remember Mm -hmm. getting asked a lot of questions like, are you sure you want to do this? Um, I remember my mom telling me, uh, you know, you Aaron you can keep doing this like I, we know that you're not like paying for your school right now we know that you're not making money to pay for your school we're happy like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity you're never going to get this again um and just the encouragement of sticking with it and so it really seemed like it's something that uh my family and those close to me and around me were going to grieve more so than it just seemed like an easy decision to me and I look back on that and I really know that that was the spirit's leading even if I didn't fully understand it uh the way I do today, back then, uh, which is also an interesting part of grief. Uh, as you're going through your process, sometimes you can look back and recognize uh, what God has done with the losses in your life uh, presently that might be really difficult to see in the moment or if you're listening to this and you're currently grieving. But yeah, I, that's how I'd answer it, Peter. I, I remember it being an easy decision, but now as I look back on it, there's things, and I know that we're going to get into this a little bit later in the conversation, where I'm asking the question, what if and having dreams during the night of getting another chance to go back and finish the years of eligibility that I guess technically I still have left Uh, as an almost 30 year old going back to college. I can't imagine doing that. But um, but clearly there's something happening under the surface for me where I subconsciously at least still do think about that and and what would have happened if I stayed and what uh, would have happened if football had remained a part of my life in the way that it was. Then, But as far as in the moment, that's those are some of the thoughts that I was probably having.
0: Well, I actually want to go there now because you brought it up, but what are you grieving about that decision today that you yep. weren't grieving uh, years ago when you made it?
1: Um, what I'm grieving today is the locker room and the relational aspect. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I've taken that grief uh, to use it as an opportunity and use it as motivation to kind of um, rekindle or rejoin those relationships that I had in the locker room when I left. And I remember we talked about this, Peter, but when I left, uh, I had seen some other players who had left the program, but they still kind of lingered around like they were they were on the team and they were maybe even getting some of the perks of the team, but they weren't on the team anymore. And so I knew that when I wanted to leave, I wanted to be a clean break, Uh, just make it very clear that I was no, I didn't even go to a a game to watch my friends. I didn't even go to a game that whole next year. I just couldn't, I just didn't want to be around it. And uh, not in any ill will type of way, but just to really like clearly state, like I'm not lingering around. Like I I know the decision that I made and I'm committed to this decision that I made. But um, what I started realizing is I also forfeited All of the relational equity for a whole entire year that I had in that locker room with these guys um, that I naively thought I was playing football with, but really I was doing life with. Mm -hmm. And I think now as an almost 30 year old, when a lot of us kind of start to settle down, we have wives and husbands and spouses and kids you start to settle down and you realize, wow, the most meaningful part of my experiences growing up were really the relationships, less about what we were doing and more about the people that I had an opportunity to interact with, share the gospel with, and impact. And so um, I think the biggest thing that I grieve today is knowing I could have done a better job of not losing the relational equity from the locker room.
0: You know, what's really fascinating about that, and again, not that I was ever going to be a professional athlete, um, you know, so like I started in like fifth grade and thought, I'm going to go to UNC. And yes. then like I went, I was like, maybe I'll go to Arizona State. And then I thought I'll play basketball for Evangel. Um, that's a yes. college my brother went to. So, you know, I I slowly and then I got to like sophomore year and I was like, I'm not playing the sport after high school. <laughs> and what, what, what I hear from you, though, is like, so when I grieve that. I think about, you know what, maybe I should have at least played at Valley Forge, played basketball. But what I hear from you is you don't grieve, at least you haven't shared primarily, about not going to the NFL or not going to a bowl game or something. You're like, I missed an opportunity with friendship. Does that other part come in or is that kind of the major thing with you? I mean, I just, it's curious to me.
1: I do think uh, there's an interesting as I am th- that's a really good question. Uh, as I'm thinking about, I think there's a uniqueness to the sport of football where every football player realizes this is something that I'm not going to ever do again, because you can't really play pickup football in the same way that you can play pickup basketball, volleyball. You can still be living in that delusion uh, that sometimes I find myself in for years down the road where it's like, yeah, I still got it. Uh, just like I remember when I, you know, made 30, had 30 points in in uh, in high school, this one game, right? Like we played against so-and-so, they're in the NBA now and basically could have done it if I didn't have that head injury or that ankle injury. There's a real um, sobering thing to, that football players understand that when it's over, it's over. And, and you're not going back to this and you're never going to dabble in it again. Uh, unless, you know, you're playing like flag football, which is all fundamentally just very different which I've done and all that's fun and great but but it's you know when you're walking away from the locker room the pads in the helmet you're not going to do that again mm. and so i think that you're always kind of thinking about that. And so you're kind of preemptively grieving what's what's to come and already kind of dealing with some of the emotions about that. Now, as far as what could have been, I think God sobered my reality really quickly when I didn't get a scholarship to play and there was grieving and there was things that I had to go through. I still have the letter that dad, my dad wrote me, on signing day, when I fully expected to be signing somewhere, my letter of intent to go, and I didn't get to participate in that because I was only walking on. Um, and so he wrote me a letter that day. I still have it. I look at it every signing day, which is coming up February 3rd. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't. I, I think a lot of that grieving I went through, uh, and God was gracious enough to slowly let me down and temper my expert expectations to where really the only thing that I have to grieve is, yeah, three years, three more years of eligibility with my friends, with players. Yeah, there were some bowl games that they went to. I guess I didn't necessarily think about that uh, as much, but it's mostly about three years of life experience that could have been had there with those guys that wasn't. Uh, And not only were those not there, there wasn't there was even a year wasted where I wasn't doing anything relationally with them. I wasn't even reaching out via text. I wasn't calling them. I wasn't trying to hang out with them. Um, and so, yeah, it it would be more about that, uh, Mm. than the unrealistic expectation that Aaron Magnuson was going to go and, uh, become really good and and play in the NFL.
0: Well, and, and I guess one of the reasons I want to ask that, because, you know, when you think about a grief series with a podcast, you know, we joke about the any there's an enneagram for the individualist. They like love dark and deep emotions. Don't at me. That's me.
1: Oh, you yeah. are. I am a four. Yes.
0: Okay. So this, <laughs> so this makes it all the more like curious because yes, because I, I guess. So thank you for telling me that. So yes. enneagram for individualist, okay with emotions and stuff like that. That's me. But so I guess my my curiosity is it sounds like you. look, you just went and I think your words were, "I had something to backfill it, whereas I yeah. could imagine like, "Oh my goodness, I'm giving up football, and you're kind of saying you're feeling those feelings later i because you brought yes. it up, I mean, go ahead is is that kind of the way it is right now that as maybe in your moments that you're just kind of catching up, um that you had something to replace it with, you've moved on, but also you know you do have these emotions behind it,
1: yeah, um. I, I do think that so so yeah, really honing in on the four piece of it. We're very emotional creatures, and we have we ride a roller coaster of emotions, and so that that can lead to a lot of optimism because you know it's at some point going to be going up, uh, and you know, at some point it's going to be going down. But with the uniqueness of a four, we also like to be down. Like there's a certain comfort that we feel in melancholy. And and in this case, conversation grief. I think we're comfortable talking about it and we're comfortable existing in it. The key would be that you're also motivated to not stay in it. Mm. Uh, And so I think for me, the stuff that was backfilled uh, was motivation to not stay in it. Uh, I think when I look back on it, it, yes, there are those those feelings uh, of grief and there are those feelings of, wow, loss. And But I, it's almost kind of like a romantic uh, thought. Like there's there's like, yeah, I like to sit in that for a second. Like I enjoy reminiscing on the sadness of that. Um, but God has also been gracious enough to I've gotten a lot of those relationships back. And there are friends that I still have and I've been able to connect with now as we're all kind of getting families, settling down, everybody's kind of looking for that again. And so there are those those opportunities to do that. And so I think God has really graciously helped lead me through a lot of what could be uh, very tough moments in my life, Um, understanding and being willing to engage with the emotions. I think that's the advantage that a four has in this grief is we're we're not going to run from those things and we're not going to, disengage from those conversations. We really like those conversations. And I also think that's why it allows me to talk a little bit more optimistically Mm. um, about it. And so I don't want that to be misleading because I think everybody and every number on the Enneagram has to deal with these things um, in their own way. But I think what the four points out is that you must engage with it and you must engage in this conversation or else you're not going to make it on the other side Hmm. of grief.
0: Well, and I want to hear the rest of your story, but I just want to bring this question up now. Uh, We've asked every guest some type of version of this question. How do you know if you're positively grieving or negatively grieving? Like what's the difference to you? What are some of the signs?
1: That is, that is a great question. Uh, I, I really think, um, not, not to, not to pull out like a Jesus answer. I really think you're the people around you first and foremost are going to know. And I would say your, um, probably spiritual habits, how often you're praying, how often you're in, this, uh, in, in scripture, uh, are you in community? Are you around people? Um, and if you are around people how, like what, how would those people, uh, view what's going on? I, I think, uh, and the Bible clearly lays this out, that there's things that are going on inside of us that come out and it starts inside us and it works its way out. And it doesn't stay in there. It does work its way out. And so I think um, while you can't exclusively look at outward expressions, sometimes those outward expressions, especially for the people who are closest with us, our friends, our family, our spouses, our children, um, our parents, they uh, will be able to know best, man, I like I think there's something going on. And so I would say, um, how willing, maybe it's as simple as how willing are you to engage in that conversation? Uh, how willing are you to look at the potential for grief, uh, uh, to talk about, and of course there's stages, right. But if you've been going 30 years or 10 years or even a year, and you're just like, I'm not talking about that. Um, there, that might be a a posture or a sign that you're not grieving. Well, Uh, I think, uh, sadness or, or how much it still hurts would probably not be a good indicator. Uh, I think the, the better indicator is, are you willing to be engaged in the dialogue towards moving to, uh, uh the next stage of grief or even grief, uh, to where, and for some of us, um, it's getting counseling. My wife and I have done counseling, uh, and, v- the, the, the knowledge that counselors have and the tools that they pull out of the tool basket, I understood in those sessions like, wow, this is what, this is why it's a profession, like you're a professional, there are things that you know about me, and how to talk to me and help me that I don't know. Uh, and so I think being willing to talk about it, and being and, and part of how that's helped is through our spiritual rhythms. Just your willingness to continue to do the tough work to get through it, I think is how you're either doing it well, or if you're not doing those things, how you're doing it poorly, because that grief doesn't just heal itself and go away. Like there has to be some intentional work uh, through other people, through community, through conversations that help you get through that.
0: That's really good. Uh, We're going to come back to more of that conversation, but fill us in. Um, What happened after college? It it sounds like you got married. Sounds like you got some kids, you know. What, uh, where, where'd you end up and how'd you end up in, uh, in California?
1: We stayed in Oregon, uh, after we both graduated in 2013, got into ministry, which, uh, ultimately five years of being at that church in Oregon led to an opportunity to move down here to be an online pastor in Southern California. Uh, and God was gracious enough to bring us down to Southern California. My wife always wanted to live here, but we, uh, are very realistic about, um, how much money you're making uh, as a uh, in the ministry and uh, didn't exactly know how God would do that. Or if he'd even fulfill a dream like that. And we still pinch ourselves every day that we're down here uh, just that God's called us down here and seeing um, his hand and how he's um, utilized uh, our obedience uh, to benefit his kingdom has been really, really cool. Um, But all in all of that life after there are so many things that I have, And decisions that I've made intentionally based off of the grieving process from being at Oregon State, Uh, particularly understanding the value of the relational aspect and the networking aspect of a locker room. I basically, Peter, treat every situation that I'm in and every seat that I get to sit in like another locker room. And I'm not going to treat that locker room the same way I treated my locker room at Oregon State, just understanding that there's people in here. There's an opportunity that I have that not everybody has because I was one of 100 uh, players. I think we had a few more players than that in coaches. And I got to be in there. And so many people did it. Uh, there's I got to share this story. It always sticks with me. There's this. It, this is a good illustration of. um. What what I'm trying to articulate when I'm talking about the locker room, there was a a mom and a son that it was just after practice and our practices were open. So people are able to come and watch. And there was a mom and a son walking. uh, And I I just always remember this so vividly. I didn't know who they were. They were just walking. I was walking back from practice to our locker room to change. And they were kind of like looking behind a gate and they were looking down on the field, uh, just just glancing at it as they were walking back to their car. And I was like, hey, you guys just want to follow me down and go onto the field just like just for a second. And they were like, yeah, I don't I don't know these people. And so, you know, open the gate, walk them down. They got to go on the field for a second and do all that. And then we said goodbye and you know they went off. Uh, I still don't know who these people are. The story sticks with me though, because I invited them into a situation that they would not have otherwise been able to be invited into. And not because I was a starter. I never played it down. Like I only practiced. Uh, I always joked that I was the third string, um, water boy, uh, (laughs) the third string bench warmer is what I call myself. Um, but that. But because I was in the locker room, because I was on the team, it afforded me privileges that the that other people who might be really curious or interested about didn't get the opportunity to do. I used my resources that were a gift to me to benefit somebody else. And so that approach that like that fundamental understanding uh, is what I carry on. Uh, and it's part of how I think I deal with the loss of that situation where I'm not going to ever do that again with whatever seat God allows me to sit in currently. And so right now it's a a seat in a large church that gives me an opportunity to help other churches and help other people who are trying to figure out what online ministry looks like uh, and being able to do that. And it's saying yes to as many things as I can, Zoom calls, conversations, being on people's podcasts, creating new friendships, because I don't ever want to squander the seat or the locker room that God's put me in.
0: Well, and one of the things I want to come back to is how hard, I mean, you grew up in Oregon your whole life, and it sounds like your wife really wanted to move to Los Angeles, you know, and this, I mean, you had lunch with the pastor that would hire you. So is there any grief in the fact of like, you left your hometown, you know, Mm. it sounds, again, one of the reasons I love interviewing you about this is, you know, you're very positive and Even being an Enneagram 4, I understand it a little bit more. Like, you're very just open and talking about, hey, I I felt this, I felt that. But, you know, I mean, is there any grief associated with that transition?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think the short answer is no, and maybe this is a valuable principle. As you're going through grief, what, what you're chasing, what is leading you when it's jesus when it's the spirit he's going to lead you out of that and so god in both of these scenarios the holy spirit jesus led me out of football and he led me out of oregon uh because i was very resistant to the idea because we were living in oregon we were in my my hometown we we're invested in the community. We had friends. We had so much support around us. God was doing incredible things in the church that we were at, through our ministry, through the ministry of the church in our city, just like things that had never happened before. Like, God was so evidently moving, and I could never figure out why uh, Megan, my wife, never really felt settled. It was just so, it was always confusing to me until God hit me over the head one day when we were having a conversation, because it was so evident. Megan and I would have these conversations again, having conversations, very important. And she would let me know when we'd be wrestling through and we were pregnant with our second kid. And so it was a great time again to talk about, Hey, like, what does God have for us? And he just hit me over the head of like, Aaron, I don't need you here to keep doing these things. And don't you think I might have something else for you? Not better, but just something else for you you. Uh, and so in both, both of those scenarios, um, what was leading me through the potential for grief or even those situations that could be grieved, like leaving my hometown, like leaving the sport that I pursued my whole entire life is that it was God and the Holy spirit leading me through it. And I think that's really key. As we talk about grief is what ultimately is leading you through it. And that's why things like prayer and scripture are so important because those are the ways that we really engage and follow and hear from the only person that can lead us out, which is Jesus. And it's the best person to lead us out because that's what's leading us into the next thing that's ultimately going to put that grief to bed, give purpose and meaning to the pain and see something beautiful come out on the other side.
0: Wow, that's um, that's really profound. And so one of the, where I wanna kind of go with this is You know, you started at One and All Church as in-person community. Now you're full-time digital. There was a little bit of mix in that. And I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners have the same experience that I do, which is um, the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everybody looked at the millennial and Gen Z in the room. They're like, oh yeah, you were right about digital. And so there's this huge, huge opportunity. But I'm curious as you think about this question, why'd my, why'd I have to give up on my dreams and grief, you know, have you seen this season as an opportunity, but also what have you grieved in this past year that's been difficult for you? Um, and I think a lot, you've talked a lot online about the angst of getting churches to kind of move to digital and things like that, but you've also seen some big wins and opportunities.
1: Yeah. Um, so what, what have I grieved, uh, in this, ask the question one more time, um, for my sake and for the listener's sake, and then okay. I'll answer it. Sure. It's a good question. I just want to make sure I answer
0: No, 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 it's right. great. Um, I think, I think to kind of sum it up, what have you grieved this past year during the pandemic, but also year, you've seen, yes. you've seen kind of the opportunities. Cause I think someone would look at you and say, Aaron, you know, man, you like, you were right about a lot of stuff. It just took a pandemic to prove it right. And but what are you grieving yeah. too?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good call. I I think um, that yes, all of us, if we're having a trouble, if you're listening to this and you're having trouble identifying what you're grieving, I think you leveraging this pandemic as an opportunity to identify what grief feels like and even looks like is a great place to start. We all lost something, whether that's it, worst case, someone we loved to the coronavirus, uh, or on a, on a more lighter note, I can't go to my favorite restaurant anymore and I'm probably seeing people less. We've all lost something. And so this uh, pandemic has provided us a great opportunity to identify those things. And I think that's what I've loved most is yes, there's been advancement in a space that I care about that I'm professionally paid to do in my role here at One and All, uh, where everybody understands, hey, Uh, we need to do stuff online. And online is viable because it's the only way we're getting through this pandemic uh, communally. And so I think um, there's that. And I think I have a little bit easier time uh, with this. And what I love even more than that is the idea of people having to deconstruct and just pause and take a moment to reflect on their lives. And for us as Christians, it's okay, I have a real opportunity now to hear from what God is hear what God is saying, maybe he, what his direction is for my life. Uh, maybe he's pointing things out to me that I've been neglecting for a while. Uh, the obvious things, right? Like, oh, I'm home with my wife now all the time, or I'm home with my husband, uh, I'm home with my kids. Um, man, I was spending a lot of time at work and there was all these other things over here. And so as we start to transition out of this or whatever, um, the world looks like after this, there's things that we're going to take with us that we were maybe taking for granted before or didn't recognize. And so it's this natural time of reflection, which a four loves. So for me, a lot of this pandemic has been very positive. uh, And I realize that is a very small minority case. Um, What I lost though, is all of a sudden everybody became online pastors. And so the uniqueness of my role, something for is also love, no longer existed. And in a lot of ways, I've celebrated it. In some ways, I've had to grieve the loss of what my role used to be and look for what my role is now. And, um, and so God's had to lead me through that. That's been tough conversations. That's been uh, internal frustrations. That's been, hey, everybody jumped into my pool. It's fun that we're all swimming together, but you're playing with all of my toys and you're not playing with them the way that you're supposed to be playing with them. Right. That would be my analogy. And that was a lot of my experience. The first part of uh, the pandemic in in 2020, probably for those first six months. And now God's kind of brought me to another spot uh, that I can continue doing the ministry, continue helping our church, but it looks a little bit different. And so I think that's probably what I've lost. Uh, And I think, um, him being gracious enough to backfill, <laughs> because he's leading me to a new spot. When we can understand that following Jesus is following him through grief, like keep following Jesus. I mean, that is applicable until the, your first breath to the last breath. Uh, he is going to lead you through grief. He's going to lead you through things. And you have to have an open hand and be excited when he puts something in and, and be praise him when he takes something away because there's something else that's coming back in. The key is just that, right, as Anna says from Frozen 2, right, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, uh, the next right thing, and the next right thing is to always be in step with where God is leading you.
0: Awesome. Hey, just two more questions, and we'll close. You yeah. know, what, what would you say to a person that um, had to give up their dreams? How would you encourage them?
1: <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus, uh, and if you do know Jesus, hes he took that dream away from you and there's and he gives he's going to give you a way to emotionally deal with it. And he's going to give you something else. Uh, hopefully that, um, you learn something from that dream and that is going to benefit you in the next thing that he hands you.
0: Mm, well, that was good. Now, the way we close our podcast is, uh, we yes. ask this question, what would Jesus say about giving up dreams? And so, uh, my role is I, uh, I basically, um, I'll say whatever comes to my mind and then we rely on our guests to fix any heresy nice. or wrong teaching. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the way we do it here. So, nice. uh, you know, listening to you, Aaron, it, it just gets me thinking, you know, so when I came into this question, I thought about just the worst case. I gave up my dream, but yep. I think what I'm leaving with, with you is, there's opportunities on the other side. So I think about Jesus, he says, you know, there's a guy that sells everything he has to buy a field to get, um, to get the treasure. I think about the rich young ruler, there's this sense. He's like, Hey, if you give up on your dream of having all this money, you can follow me. And I want to be careful of that because there's a, there's a gospel implication, but there's also kind of just what you just said there. When we live life open-handed, Um, it's amazing what God can do with that and you can grieve it and walk through it, but you can, you should grieve it
1: like, because it's a very real thing he took away from you. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I want you to finish asking your question, but that you should grieve it. Like that, like it's being a Christian is not like, well, God took it. So I'm okay with it. I don't have to emotionally like we we are spiritual beings with a fleshly body. Right. And so the flesh forces us to do things we wouldn't otherwise have to do. And when we go to heaven, praise God, we're not going to have to do. You should grieve it because there's like you cared about it and God gave it to you because you cared about it. Um, but you can't care about it forever at the mm. expense of where god is leading you but yeah so i i just want to be clear like you can't like as the church it's not just you need more jesus and you don't feel bad that, that that is the worst theology that that's the heresy if there's a heresy from today it's that you don't need to feel bad when god takes things away from you uh you can feel bad but you have to work through it because something else is coming because our role in following god and his Impact on our lives and the impact our lives are going to have on others never stops. Uh, but finish asking your question. No, please.
0: no, I did. Well, I was responding to the question first, and then you, you yes. get to you get to close us up. So, what right. is what does Jesus say about giving up dreams? Anything that was maybe left unsaid? So,
1: yeah, uh, I, two things come to mind per, specifically pertaining to that question. Uh, the first is something our pastor Jeff Vines says out here all the time. Jeff says. Uh, and really his his ministry kind of uh, focus is built on this principle of giving up something you love for something you love even more. Mm. And when we play that game all the way to the top, it should end with Jesus, and Jesus will never ask us to give up him, and you can't lose him. So uh, you, the, the the guiding principle of following Jesus, following his spirit through these grieving times, it, it will take you through anything because that is— the ultimate that's the trump card that's that's what's never going to leave your dream of loving and following jesus will always be your dream uh so giving up something you love for something you love more when we have that mindset uh we hold our dreams a little bit more loosely but we also understand we can still love that thing i still love my spouse uh i still love my kids i still at that period of my life i loved football but uh God may ask us at any time to give up that thing that we love for something we love even more. And that will always end in, well, is your foundation built on loving Jesus and your ultimate pursuit, everything you're doing in life built around that? I I should probably end on that, but I also wanted to say, um, so the idea of giving up something you love for something you love even more. What would Jesus say about giving up dreams? I think a more practical approach to that, though, because I think that that that's great, like great in principle. But for those people who are still hurting in grieving, I would say what I've learned in the dreams that I've had to give up is all of those dreams stack. Like you learn stuff and those stack on top of each other to ultimately benefit the next thing that's placed in front of you. all all the way to some people describe it as like the pinnacle of their ministry. Everything I did was for this moment right here. And we can experience that in business. We can experience that in parenting. For those of us who are actually in vocational ministry, we can experience that. And so understand that you're really grateful for the dream that you have right now and pursue it with everything you have, but also understand that that might not be the pinnacle, but it doesn't mean it's worthless or not worth pursuing it means that there's something to be squeezed, extracted, gained from that dream that's going to ultimately benefit the next dream and the next dream after that and the next dream after that. So, so be simultaneously excited about what you have today, grieve what you had yesterday and be excited about what you're going to have tomorrow
0: man that's an awesome place to end uh make sure you follow aaron online uh aaron magnuson 79 on twitter and uh instagram you can also follow him on the social media church podcast uh is there anything i'm missing aaron to kind of if people want to get a hold of you
1: no i instagram and twitter are the best two ways uh to get a hold of me but yeah just love love the opportunity to, to connect with new people meet new people uh Reach out like Peter did. Uh, just send send Twitter direct messages. That's ultimately how I ended up my job here in California. Uh, now it's more Instagram direct messages because that was a, a f- quite a few years ago, but. Yeah. Reach out if you have anything. Those are the best places to reach me. Yeah, if you want to listen to a podcast, social media church podcast is the way to go. Uh, oneandall.church. oneandall.church is my uh, church if you want to check that out. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me, Peter.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you send a pigeon, a pigeon letter, it'll probably take six months. Anyways. Um... And
1: you might not get anything back either. Uh, <laughs> but anyways.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll open that topic later. But uh, you can uh, make sure you rate and share our episode. You can Use hashtag WGW podcast. That's also our handles for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and then, most of all, you can go to whygotawipodcast.com. Why Thank you so much for joining us today.